Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome, everybody, to Roll to Cast, the Australian Podcast Award-nominated tabletop RPG podcast of both actual plays and interviews with the creators. My name is Sean Flo, and I played Aurelius Tarnell on this here Witcher season just passed, and I'm joined around the table by... Hello, I'm Ellen Graham, and I played Eva Virch, or Eva Virch, as I like to say. (laughs) Uh, Following the finale of our Witcher RPG season and our post-season wrap-up, episode, we are continuing our interseason content as we interview some very special guests. Firstly, he is the general manager of Altalzorian and the lead designer of The Witcher RPG. Welcoming back for the second time to this here pod, it's Cody Pondsmith. Hello! Hello! Glad to be back. Excited <laughs> to talk about Witcher again. Yay! First, I wish we had, like, applause to, like, canned applause to, like, play. So it's just like you're making your your rapturous ascent to the road. It is our first two our first two two-timer of the podcast. Yeah, um, you should be so lucky. And uh, also, it's not just Cody. There's a, we, we, we don't give you one Pondsmith missed time, we give you two. <laughs> and uh, she is the business manager of Artelzorian and one of the lead writers for The Witcher RPG for the first time ever, Lisa Pondsmith. Hello, Lisa. Hello. <laughs> Can you tell that Sean uh, uh, introduces uh, wrestlers in the ring? Oh, yes, I am. I am a, yes, I'm, <laughs> yes, I can see that. Got flair. I like it. Got flair and pizzazz. So for, for those who are unaware, if you've maybe you've got The Witcher uh, RPG book slap bang in the middle of your table right now as you're listening, you might see Pondsmith and Pondsmith. And that is indeed Cody and Lisa who were at the forefront of this uh, this here game. And so we have a lot to talk about. And I mean, first and foremost, what I what I would like to delve in, and, and Lisa, this is a question for you specifically. So Cody, take a take a seat. I'm using 3.30am <laughs> energy here. This is, I'm in a weird mood. But it's yeah, like you're a cop. In take a, a, take in a, a seat, like sit back, relax. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're the police chief in a in an 80s oh. film and you're like, give me your badge and gun and sit down. <laughs> I'll put my feet up. Yeah. Lisa, I kind of wanted to talk to you just in regards to kind of like where you got started in terms of um your relationship with RPGs specifically. Because I know that you talk about your time in meeting Mike when you were both in college. And this is in the 70s when, for my knowledge, D&D first ed is around, which itself was an incredibly lethal system. So I was, I was kind of keen to know about your relationship to RPGs and how that kind of grew and how you grew along with it to get to where you are today working for Artel Zorian and starting to write yourself. I started role-playing in my senior year at University of California at Davis. Um, I fell in love with it immediately. And the next year, I moved into a household. I didn't know anyone. And, they, and one of the people said, well, what do you do when you're not studying? And I said, you're not, you're not going to know this at all, but 
I role play because at that time <laughs> nobody did. Um, and they said, Oh, you have to meet our friend Mike. He does that. Oh my God. <laughs> so that's how I re met him. Uh, we had run across each other on campus earlier, but this is my first real introduction. So he ran in my world, which I then had then threw myself into creating after I discovered role playing. And that's been a major part of my life all of this time. But it was in 1985 that we started putting together the company. And I didn't trust anyone else to do the business side. Of it. <laughs> Not even Mike. <laughs> Especially Mike. Well, he, wanted, he had all these things he wanted to do. And I said, no, nobody else is going to put is going to put as much heart into this as I will. Mm. Um, so that's how I became business manager. Now, at that time, we had other jobs. And it wasn't until I think about five years later that we were really starting to become smaller than uh, a closet company. And I said, you know, we're going to have to get somebody else to work on the business because there's a lot going on now. And Eric Goldberg from West End is a friend of ours. And he said, who is going to take care of your company better than you? So I quit my job. <laughs> oh, easy oh as that. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Go for it. So it was, we had some good years there in the 80s and 90s before the industry collapsed. And Cody came about during that period. Do you mean, do you mean he, he came, came, in, he came, he came into existence? He or came into the company? greatest contribution <laughs> to the gaming world. Oh. Okay, I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know, I was honestly expecting that segue a bit earlier when you were like, who else is going to run this company? So <laughs> so we had a small child. <laughs> well, he didn't even exist, so we couldn't put that on, on him. Yeah, when I found out I was pregnant, we sent out a, a product sheet to everybody in the industry. and Yes, indeed, I do have a product number. <laughs> <laughs> How very cyberpunk of you. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. It was one of the distributors who wrote back and said, we are interested in the product, but we understand it will be pricey because there's only one of them. <laughs> That's so sweet. <laughs> I love email humor. Did you, uh, did you, how did you stack Cody? <laughs> Well, I didn't. It was it was simply a, a product, what we do when we send out a new product. So <laughs> price, a stock number, price was TBD. So, I was kind of curious there for a moment. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually still got that piece of paper, by the way. Oh, that's so sweet. The industry collapsed. We moved up to Seattle from California. Uh, and Michael worked various places in electronic games. I was going to say, because he worked with uh, for Microsoft for a while and a few other places and yes, started working on video games. Yeah, As happens with many people who have worked by themselves or had their own company, he did not like working for other people. Mm. <laughs> so it looked like the industry was building back up again. So he said, oh, why don't we do this? That's It's a lot more fun than you working slave hours for the electronic industry. Yeah. So we did. Cody, as he likes to say, came in in the mail room yeah. um, when he was about nine. Oh, wow. Was, because at that time we were still so small that I was packing all the orders. Well, you know, you've got two extra hands there. <laughs> he has been designing games forever. I remember, and he was in elementary school and he was running his, his friend in games. So that's kind of, perhaps it is genetic. I don't know. Anyway, to our discussion here, we can flip forward to 2012. CDPR wrote to us and said, we love cyberpunk and we want to do a video game. Uh, nobody knew anything about them. But what we found was that they were really fans. They knew the property and they wanted to stick to the property and that that's what we wanted to hear so somewhere in there i was talking to them and they said we've decided we think there should be a tabletop role playing game of witcher oh. who do you do you know anybody who would want to do it <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you know anyone who works in the TTRPG industry? I don't. <laughs> um, Michael said, I don't do fantasy, which is absolutely true. So I turned to Cody and I said, do you want it? And he said, yeah. And and just for reference, a 
This was when you were a teenager, Cody, am I right? He was 18. Jeez. I, oh, <laughs> I, I was 18 when I did the pitch, if I recall correctly. Yes. We, this came up a little bit beforehand because they, they, that leads into the whole, the whole process of that pitch and everything. He got off a plane after flying from Seattle to Warsaw. We drove to the offices. He sat down on the sofa in the lobby and talked to like four different people, giving them the pitch. And then it was his. Hmm. So, you know, my husband makes a point of saying, Witcher is all Cody all the way down. And I mean, that's that's an interesting thing for me. If you, if you don't mind me interjecting, I have a curiosity about Cody because obviously you've grown up in a tabletop household. Your house is basically yeah. a, a big role-playing table, <laughs> but you're surrounded predominantly by a company whose bread and butter up to that point was Cyberpunk, that's what Artel Zarin's known for. It's a very sci-fi, dystopian, future-heavy environment. Did you find yourselves drawn more towards fantasy? Because obviously your love of TTRPGs in general comes uh, a lot from from your parents. But where did the love of fantasy and, and looking into kind of high adventure rather than cyberpunk kind of come from? I, I've always had... Uh, um... I don't know. I, I'm a very I'm a very adventurous person. My primary my primary hobby outside of outside of TTRPGs is hiking. Um, I love getting out into the wilderness. I, I have a fascination with uh, a lot of the sort of pre gunpowder warfare swordsmanship things like that. Um, so a lot of my interest just kind of circulated around fantasy. I I don't know. I could like pinpoint a moment, but a, I I've always while I like sci-fi, I, I've always had uh, a real love for fantasy, and I carry I carry that through a lot of the stuff that I do. Everything from you know a bunch of a bunch of sort of the outdoorsy stuff that I do. I've I've threatened my personal gaming group a million times that we should someday go out and do a do a hiking <laughs> camping trip. Don't do that to nerds. <laughs> the think of the SPF required. <laughs> <laughs> I've threatened that we should we should do a hike and camping trip and I'll take all the gear that our characters carry and see what it's actually like to, you know, <laughs> travel on the road. Let's really deal with encumbrance yeah, I was now. Say, you bitches. all have encumbrance. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody uses encumbrance. <laughs> yeah. But um in, in Witcher specifically, it was actually because when they they approached us for for Cyberpunk, they sent us copies of Witcher 2. And I I sat down and played Witcher 2 and really, really enjoyed it. It's one of the only games I've played twice because um, I didn't like the, the ending I got the first time. <laughs> and uh, after that, Lisa and I both, Lisa more voraciously than I perhaps, uh, started reading the novels and got really, really just into the world of the Witcher in general. So when, you know, when they came to me with this, you know, opportunity of doing doing a, the TRPG, I was like, yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, by that point, I was just really, I just really sort of fallen in love with the world through the through the video games and the books. Um, just jumping off of that. So you're in this environment, but I think in an interview previously, um, you've said, Cody, that Witcher and Cyberpunk mirror each other. When you were kind of, going into to make the witcher is there like a central kind of theme or identity or thing that you like to see in your games that you're kind of pushing forth what um apart from them both being worlds where kind of good people suffer what's your kind of yeah just unpack that sentence for me a little bit if you wouldn't mind (laughs) they're mirroring each other because i find that very very interesting especially since we've had the good fortune of playing both what i generally meant by that is that both witcher and cyberpunk are you know for all of that for all of the sort of like edgy baggage that comes with it they are both dark settings you know cyberpunk is a dark future witcher is a dark fantasy and i've always kind of seen both of them in a very similar way of it's not necessarily that they're super you know horribly grim or like very everything will fall to not kind of you know hopeless but both witcher and cyberpunk have i think if you if you do them right they have this core concept in a lot of cases of you are not a hero really you know your goal is not to save the world you know you're not you're not necessarily like stopping a cult from you know bringing back a god or you know defeating the evil king or if you are you're doing it because it has some personal relation to you both witcher and and cyberpunk are this setting where you are playing not regular people exactly 
but you are playing a person who is trying to live in this inherently very dangerous, very grim world. And your goals are are centered in most circumstances around you. You know, in, in cyberpunk, you are living on the streets, usually in Night City, and your goals center around surviving to the next day and eventually making it you know, the, the dream of most edge runners is, you know, making it to the point where you did the last big score. You know, you got rich, you got the, the you know, condo in, in the best part of the city and a great car. And you don't, you know, theoretically have to throw yourselves into horrible situations constantly to make the money to survive. You became a member of the ruling class. Yes. Effectively, effectively. <laughs> and to some extent, in a lot of cases, the same is, is is the case in Witcher. The Witcher has a bit of a different thing in the current time period in 1272 when we wrote the TRPG. Of It is genuinely this weird situation of survival where, you know, you are struggling to make your way so that you and your own as it were are okay you know there's there's a lot of intersections of that like if you are you know elder folk you are an elf or a dwarf or a gnome or a halfling or something you are dealing with you know in certain places this prevalent racism that will affect you very personally you and your family and probably your friends you know, if you are living somewhere in the north during this time period, you are escaping absolute, you know, total warfare. But all of this is carried forward by you having a life that you can live in a, you know, at least reasonably safe and happy way. You know, Geralt, for instance, most of his, you know, while Geralt is dragged into big political stuff where he's assassinating kings and, you know, helping people fend off, you know, massive world-ending threats or whatever. His through line is basically always personal. You know, Geralt is dragged into those situations not because he has any direct interest in saving the world or, you know, overturning corrupt kings or anything like that, but because he has, you know, somebody he is looking after or he's looking after himself or, you know, those sorts of things. And it's not necessarily about being sort of like selfish out for yourself it is this the story of somebody trying to live in an inherently threatening or dangerous environment and i think one of the cool things about that setting is that both in witcher and cyberpunk you walk this very fine line between extremely grim where you know you are you know going into horrible you know acrid swamps and hunting down twisted monsters that have stolen children to eat their bones or what have you um, and then you you kind of get to balance that with these moments of peace and serenity where perhaps you and your company, as it were, have, you know, stopped in a tavern and you're just enjoying the music and playing some Gwent. You know, it's this balance between really terrible things that you are kind of trying to get through and these moments of happiness, as it were. And both Cyberpunk and Witcher really kind of have that weird balance. It's something that I find phenomenal just listening to the two of you kind of talk about this, uh, how you can kind of espound so eloquently. And, and so like with, with such knowledge about this this subject, about the Witcher world and its lore. And, and I know you've talked about, you know, uh, Cody, you had more of um, at least a... Uh, a bit of an in into the video gaming um, side of The Witcher, whereas uh, for you, Lisa, you tackled the books. And so, you know, to the point where you have literally pulled out a highlighter, yep. and you're, you're bringing up anything that even remotely resembles lore. Um, so, but w- when you're tackling something that has such a big kind of world over a multiple uh, kind of a variety of mediums. What did you find was the most difficult aspect of taking an existing property and kind of collating all this information and trying to make it into a brand new product? I think part of, part of the problems come from the fact that to write a game, you do not have to create a world. Um, You have to create a background for your game. Uh, But as a RPG, we have to, create the world. We have to allow you to wander around in the world of The Witcher, which means that, for example, um, I did a section in the in the core book about each of the countries. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of information. So we had to take what we had 
and sort of extrapolate that from everything else that we knew. But we tried to stay as close as possible to the property. The other problem is that, you know, as Lisa was saying, we we don't we didn't have a lot to go from. And it can be it could be even more difficult because in sometimes we didn't even know if we could go from the things we had to go from. You know, uh, we we had a lot of discussions in in you know between me and Lisa on core book of what what content we could and could not use because um, you know by the very nature of the Witcher franchise uh, a lot of different products and a lot of different sources of lore are held by different people legally so there was a lot of information that came from for instance like the old Polish TRPG you know one of the two and that's not stuff that we could use. So we would run across like this, we'd, we'd run across this vast source of information and be like, ah, oh, yes, we, we have this information <laughs> that we can put in. And then we'd see it was from the Polish DRPG. And immediately, like all of that, it would just like disappear, as it were, because, you know, we can't use it. Like we legally cannot use that content. <laughs> it might as well be gone to us. Like a poison apple it is. <laughs> you know, you hit this crux because there's not... There, in a lot of cases, there aren't super well. It's hard to track down everything, you know, because we're talking about all of Andrew Stokowski's books. We're talking about all of uh, CDPR's video games, both the the ones on console and things like Gwent and uh, the old uh, Witcher Battle Arena game and stuff like that. And then, you know, we're talking about old Polish comics and new Dark Horse comics and old Polish TV shows and an old Polish movie and two old Polish TRPGs. And, you know, books that were written by people other than Sapkowski, but Sapkowski kind of like gave them their blessing to write it. So there's such a wide variety of things. And it's in many ways, it was kind of difficult sometimes to determine what we could and couldn't use based on those sort of you know legal agreements of what we did and didn't have in our hand. I'm curious then on what really excited you most about the Witcher from from pouring this is a question for you both from pouring through all that pre-existing material and what were the things that really stuck out to you this kind of like I was hearing you Cody talk about you creating uh, or elaborating more on the Griffin school and you wanting to create a real kind of uh, a real hero in this world but what are those what are those little elements from the Witcher that you're like oh We've got to have that. We've got to have that because that is integral to making a Witcher world. I have always been the fantasy person. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I run fantasy (laughs) games and I love to play in fantasy games. Although I found an interesting dichotomy. I believe that some people are GMs and some people are players. Yeah, I am a player. My son and my husband are GMs. Mm. <laughs> they get restless in other people's games. It skips a gene. <laughs> I think I loved the fact that The Witcher was a really rich world. There was so much going on. And I give Sapkowski credit because by hooking him up with Siri uh, through the Law of Surprise, he's dragged Geralt into the world situation without it actually be being Geralt being the hero to save the day. I'm thinking about what seemed the most important when we were doing the book. Jump! I'll jump in here and say that I I have a very similar I had a very similar opinion, which was that especially reading through the books and going through the adaptations that CPR has done, it really stuck out to me how much the Witcher world is. Like every by right, everything about it should be an extremely generic uh, sort of Tolkien ripoff. You know, yeah. it's it's elves and dwarves and humans, and you know, they're on a a you know, it's sort of a, a continent coastline that disappears off into the east, and you know all this. But a bunch of the choices made by Sapkowski and later CDPR really take it. They they elevate it from this you know sort of sort of fantasy heartbreaker, you know, elves and dwarves thing into its own world that genuinely feels unique. You know, many aspects of Witcher feel unique and they have this very interesting in a lot of cases sort of almost folk fantasy vibe that it's kind of kind of low fantasy and dark fantasy kind of mixed together, which is, you know, one of the things that I thought was interesting and I wanted us to carry forward. I wanted to make sure that in the game it felt it felt like the book. So as Lisa was saying, you know, it didn't feel like you were, you know, sort of in the, the, you know, big damn heroes category. 
you know, because like in in the books, for instance, while Geralt is an incredible killing machine in a lot of circumstances, all of the monsters are also incredible killing machines. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, Geralt can wade through humans with barely, barely any problem in most circumstances. But Geralt gets beat up a lot in the books by by various monsters. He he takes a serious beating, um, which is yeah, why in a lot of cases we kind of relate him almost to like a, a film noir hero, as it were. Belisa, you were saying. What we needed to get across in the game is that Geralt was created to fight monsters. Yeah. He wasn't just created to be a badass. There was a job. There was a horrible possibility that somebody could do a tabletop and it would just come out to be fantasy. Yeah. Fantasy in, in quotes. So Cody and I, really pounded hard on the idea of what is what is this in the witcher like i said by in the book we tried to make it as witchery as we could possibly make it <laughs> which is interesting because cdpr makes their world very cyberpunk and the people at cdpr and michael talk and get the worlds make sure the worlds are connected and consistent we just have it sort of the other way around. Yeah, but like, for instance, to jump back, you mentioned Erland. I may have talked about this in the past. When I set out to make Erland, I, I, I did. I wanted, to make, I wanted to make a character who was genuinely a knight, like a, a, a real, you know, knight in shining armor. You know, they're not cynically fighting monsters just because it pays or, you know, whatnot. They, they want to protect people. But at the same time, I knew that that couldn't that story couldn't end happy because it doesn't because you know the nature of Witcher real genuine idealistic heroes do not usually get happy endings you yeah. know <laughs> so you know I knew when I started writing Erland that you know the end of his story did have to at least be melancholy, which is why, you know, Erland, for all of his sort of heroism, he, the end of his story is, you know, basically him leaving the continent because, you know, all everything he put together to protect people has been destroyed because a bunch of mages wanted his his you know, library and he didn't give it to them. So they so they basically destroyed everything he cares about just to just to spite him effectively. That's a mage thing to do. Yeah. And you know, it's why like I really appreciated the 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 stuff they carried forward in Gwent where they talk about, you know, the fact that Erlen was, you know, the Griffin school was the only, you know, witcher school that was going to kings and saying, you know, hey, if you fund us, then we'll be able to help everybody and we won't have to, you know, take, you know, the the few coins that, you know, a peasant in your country has just to kill the monsters they have just to, you know, fix our gear. But, you know, despite the fact that he implored all of these different monarchs, none of them ever saw a, a substantial reason to do it because they had the money to pay for witchers and who cares if nobody, if other people don't have the money to pay for witches. So <laughs> like I said, when I built Erland, I wanted to build this character who was real and, and genuine, but I knew that by the nature of what witcher is, that that kind of character could not really have a happy ending in, in a way. I think it, it brings up another interesting point. You know, we talk about the, the things that make the witcher, the witcher and, Obviously, Geralt is one, and another one is indeed the monsters. The monsters that make, and you know, a big draw of the Witcher series and getting able, being able to play the RPG is being able to come up against this this cavalcade, this menagerie of different terrifying creatures. And I, for, for Lisa specifically, as as someone that I'm beginning to learn is kind of a jack of all trades, and you've kind of had to bounce around and take a lot of like kind of like. Um, different roles in the company it's interesting to see that your original you talked about being at the university of california you studied zoology yes and so i just wonder whether that that kind of interest in in the science of animals and, and such did that did that interest get peaked when you're kind of looking at the monsters and how to write them in the different variations like i'm just wondering if there's any connection there quite possibly my interests are extremely broad I did go to school in zoology. For some reason, as a child, I thought I really wanted to be a vet. Once, once I got two or three years into my degree, I realized that there were 
a terrible lot of people who wanted to do the same thing. And they were far more dedicated than I was. So I realized that that goal was not a good one. But yes, that information is still in my brain. But then also, I'm a big history buff. So that stuff is in my brain too. Even little things like I spent 10 years as a baker and that's in there too. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> Where does the baking come in? Because <laughs> I want that Witcher side game. <laughs> After Michael and I left Davis and went to UC and went to Santa Cruz, I wasn't sure what to do with myself. Uh, I had decided that zoology was not going to work out for me. So the obvious question when you're in that position is, what do I enjoy doing? And I enjoyed baking. I had been doing that as a little girl in 4-H all the way up. And there was a really good European-style bakery about a block or two from my apartment in Santa Cruz. I went in and said I was looking for a job. I wanted to be a baker. And uh, the wonderful lady that owned the bakery looked at me and she said, well, you're big enough. Little did I know that commercial baking is an extremely strenuous job. Okay. I went through starting with dishwasher and worked my way up. And I, I enjoyed it for a very long time. But once again, I have these periods in my life when I'm doing something and then I realize that I really need to be working on the company. So I quit and go do that. But yeah, it was a good time. So what is it then that um, makes you decide or at least um, what is the impetus to go, oh, okay, I've done the business side of Telsorian for a long time. I want to try my hand at writing because I know your work on The Witcher isn't the only thing you've written for with Telsorian, whether that is um, Falkenstein or uh, whether that is uh, Primitive Screwheads. Like you've, you've obviously delved into that quite a bit. What kind of um, sparked your interest there? Actually, I got to write um, a lot of little pieces for cyberpunk. I have always written, but not for publication, just little fiddly things. I'm terrible at plotting. That's why I'm not a good GM. (laughs) The products were always there. They were always in front of me. Michael has encouraged me to write for years and years. He has said, I want to get somebody to do more of your job so you can write more. Um, But right now... Um, the business side of the company, because we have six creatives in me. Uh, the business side of the company uh, does require my full attention. The hit new TV show, Six Creatives and I. One thing to remember is that back in 2012, when Cody pitched The Witcher, there were three people in the company, and they were yeah. all named Pondsmith. So, <laughs> it is not an exaggeration to say that the 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 Witcher TRPG core book was basically put together by me and Lisa, and basically no one else. Wow! Despite the fact that it's you pitching an eighteen and going forward, but the idea of it going right, this is just you two. You are just going to mm. be in charge of this. Is that freeing or harrowing or a nice, lovely mixture of the two? It's it's definitely a mixture of the two, and it definitely, to some extent, my experience speaks to how young I was when I did it. Because uh, you know, this was the first major product I worked on, and you know, I wanted to to have my hand in everything, and you know, be able to you know really you know do this the best that I could. And you know, I I I did uh, you know all the system stuff. I put in changes from playtest. Lisa uh, provided me with copious notes on everything and wrote the world sections. Uh, and, you know, I sourced the art from CDPR, who is nice enough to give, give us all. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All of the, uh, all of the art from, from Gwent and from their concept art for Witcher. And I even did the layout for the core book and, you know, all this stuff. And in one respect, it was very freeing because I was able to kind of, you know, move forward with it as I, you know, saw fit in most circumstances. But on the other hand, you know, besides having Lisa there to, to help me on the lore side, I had like very little backup, as it were. Together, me and Lisa put together a 336-page book over a very long period of time. And, you know, I kind of came out of the end of that. And, you know, I will admit the first the first printing had a, a lot of problems. And, you know, we diligently sat down and fixed those problems. But looking back on that, you know, I have thought in the past, you know, I was so invested in like doing this all, you know, me and Lisa doing it all ourselves or whatever. And I just don't. I, I realize now I do not want to do that again because <laughs> the stress of putting together, you know, a, a 336 page book for a very popular franchise, like just two people is absolutely massive. Yeah. And, you know, especially when you're doing kind of everything, like I said, we didn't have a layout person, you know, we didn't have an art director at that time. You know, none of that. I like to I, I like to say, you know, I for the first and I'll throw myself under the bus here for for the first for the first book. I laid everything out because I wrote into layout, um, which anybody who's done you know book design before will probably be screaming at whatever they're currently listening to this podcast on, <laughs> on layout. Um, so I had, you know, I wrote all this into layout and it wasn't until quite a long time after we finished the core book that I learned how to flow text in InDesign. Ah. So I was just making every text box and I didn't know how to flow text from one text box into another. So I was just like, there were a thousand things I learned after I finished putting together the core book for the first time. And I was like, wow, if I had known this, the probably the whole process, if I had had an actual layout, you know, designer, maybe this would have been a lot easier. So <laughs> Cody, when you ran across those technical problems, yeah. did you ever consider going to your dad? <laughs> um, saying, hey, what's the best way to do this? You've been doing this for 30 years. Why didn't you ask your dad, Cody? <laughs> Aunt, answer your mom, Cody. <laughs> part of it, part of it is I was, you know, 19 or 20, and I really wanted to prove myself. And, you know, Mike was Mike was busy with other stuff as well, but you know I'll I'll, I'll admit it. I'm pretty sure it's just that I I really really wanted to you know do it all. You know I think I think when you're doing your first big project, there's a lot of push for that. There's this like yeah. you want to do it all. You want to you know prove that you can do it or whatever. And you know luckily I've largely gotten over that. But yeah, no. To answer the question, it was very freeing in one respect, but it was also just wildly intensely stressful <laughs> also i have to i have to jump back and throw lisa under the bus now oh great please um, do <laughs> <laughs> i was just getting ready to throw you under oh the bus. okay well oh, we can all go do first. it go ahead go ahead um there's enough room under the bus for everybody um no lisa i i i wanted to get lisa writing on core book because uh she is a really good writer um, she's, she is a really, really good writer. I had her writing both the world section for, for Witcher TRPG, but also, uh, quotes from, we have these two narrator characters, Rodolf Kasmer, the Dwarven Merchant, and, um, Brandon of Oxenford, the Human Scholar, with Rodolf basically being sort of my side of things, talking about the day-to-day, -day, you know, traveling across the continent type thing. Brandon being the very sort of scholarly, you know, talking about the high concept stuff. And going through and do doing that process with Lisa uh, was was really fascinating because we have these two very different voices. And all of Lisa's writing for Brandon was delightful because she really just like channeled this this very grumpy sort of crotchety old scholarly man <laughs> who I would get to sort of bounce off of as this like very sort of, you know, affable but cynical traveling dwarf merchant. And the kind of byplay there, even if it doesn't like show up in the text, there was this fun byplay of like, 
just us understanding that these two characters knew each other and were kind of doing this narration together and would like reference each other sometimes was a, a, a real delight. Anyway, I, I, I relinquish myself. Throw me under the bus. Okay, we under the bus. Um, we released this book at Gen Con. Yes. Oh, God. And he knows what's coming. Yeah, Cody said, yeah. before the show opened, he said, I just want to sell one book. Oh. It was we the first up. thing I'd ever done. <laughs> <laughs> we, so we, the show opens and we're, we're selling books. And somebody from Gen Con walks up and says, can you manage your line, please? <laughs> and we were, we were and, in, okay, this important context. We were in a 10 by 20 booth um, that was towards the back of the hall. And we could only see a certain amount of the line. So this woman comes up, obviously quite, quite irritated. And yeah, says, you need to manage your line. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I, I went out and it, the, the line, yes, indeed, went basically around the corner and then went down the hall um, and went down probably a solid like 40, 50 feet of just people just like lined up and <laughs> I was I was stunned by that, but at the same time I'm panicking because because you're 20. <laughs> I was I was like 22. I was like 24 or something. And um, what we got was basically you need to manage your line or we're going to shut you down. And I was like, <laughs> oh, oh. so uh, this leads to like we had to we had to manage the line, which was so far back that we had to like run down to it, and we had to set a, like a cutoff point. And have people wait against the back wall so they weren't, you know, interrupting the, the the walking area. So for a period of time, I'm just like, I am sprinting back and <laughs> forth between the end of this line and our booth. Like, I, I put up a sign and everything. I'm like going back and forth. I'm going to people at the end of the line like, don't worry, we still have copies. You'll be able to get them. I'm running back and forth. And funnily enough, like a like a couple months later, we're we're like trawling social media, I think it was Facebook. And somebody said, I was in, I was in the line to get a copy of, of Witcher at Gen Con. And there's this guy who is like running back <laughs> and like telling people updates about the game. And I didn't know that was the lead designer. <laughs> Cody will tell you that it has a lot of problems, but I'll tell you one thing. Nobody has ever said, this isn't the Witcher. Oh, like the tone. Says it on the front. And, yeah. <laughs> God damn it. Ellen and I will, will be the first to admit is that out of the four of us that are a part of Roll to Cast, we are definitely less inclined to de to delve into the nitty gritty of kind of the rules. And and as you can tell by this interview, we kind of steer away from talking <laughs> about that. Um, but obviously that, that style of The Witcher and how deadly it is and how you want to avoid combat is... If you are able to, because why would you in a world like that? The system informs the style and the style informs the system. And you've obviously found a way to marry the two. And like The Witcher also, um, you know, we can see is like almost bridging the gap uh, rules wise from 2020 to what will become red. But I know it's something that, uh, Cody, you talked about as well, where you say, you know, we want a game that, people can get wholly invested in their characters because then you're going to think twice about whether you, you know, go into that that battle or if you talk sideways at this person because there's a very real threat of dying, dying horribly and dying quickly. Weirdly, that's that was part of the, that was a two-part part of the inspiration behind the the critical injury system in, in, in TRPG was I wanted to model the brutality of the Witcher setting. Um, you know, I wanted to model this, this sort of inherently, you know, much more realistic sort of view of combat whereby, you know, a, a single slip up could, could mean the end of your life if you're not particularly, you know, prepared for it. Um, and, you know, modeling things like, you know, Geralt getting stabbed in the back by a, by a peasant and, and killed. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, various things like that. But at the same time, 
while I wanted to establish that such that you knew that you, if you were getting into combat, you were in <clears throat> combat, you know, I, I wanted something that was beyond the, like, you lose five hit points because, you know, in my experience with games like that, there is a problem of like, at a certain point, it becomes a totally a numbers game of, I've got, you know, 17 hit points left. I'm probably fine. Yeah. But if your character has 17 hit points left, they should be staggering. You know, if, yeah. if you've got two hit points left, you are two points. You know, a, a stiff breeze could literally <laughs> kill you. Yeah. yeah. And what does that feel like as well? You know, <laughs> that's why broken ribs and and punctured lungs. Punctured lungs. And oh, what did you get, Sean, in our trial game? Wasn't it sepsis? Oh, yeah. You I got sepsis. Intest- intestine yeah. or something. Yeah. We, we, we trialed. We, we thought, okay, if we're going to get into this game, this, this, this. Yeah. horrific dark fantasy that Pondsmith and Pondsmith has brought to us. Let's try the combat system. And yeah, I got sepsis <laughs> from my own dagger. I mean, I, <laughs> spoilers for our own season, but uh, my witcher dies at the, at the I was going to say hands, but rather the mouth of a catacan because I, I failed, uh, what was it, three critical... You fails. It oh, was the no, unluckiest dice hurts. ever, yeah. and she was decapitated. So I feel yeah. It's definitely very swingy, and to some extent, it, someday I'll probably make some changes to make it a little less swingy because that's a bit too much crap. But because <laughs> I'm confronting you here on this podcast. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, God. But the other, the other thing was part of part of the other reason, like the other reason I wanted to have the critical injury system was because it allows for role play. If you walk out of a fight and you just lost 37 hit points, no one is going to remember that fight unless something really cool happened during that fight. Unless you, you know, pulled off a very cool stunt or something like that. But if you walk out of a fight and, you know, somebody's got broken ribs or somebody's got a you know punctured lung or something, or you can look back on, remember that time, you know, that monster knocked out six of my teeth or whatever, you have rather than this sort of straight numbers game of hit points, you have a very visceral, like, this is me. This is my body. This is what's happening as I get into these fights. So it, it felt like you had more of an opportunity to to role play than if it, there was no sort of very visceral, you know, this is your body, this is what's happening to it type system. In other systems, you have a tendency to walk away from a battle with two points, just like you walk away from battle with 20 points. And that's not giving you the flavor of what's actually going on. It's interesting that you mentioned the system being so deadly that maybe you don't want to get into combat because that is what Michael has been saying ever since the beginning of Cyberpunk. And a lot of people groused when Cyberpunk originally came out because the system was so deadly, but we kept getting letters from cops and vets and people and they said no this is what really happened yeah. Yeah. <laughs> tell these people so uh, in both games we've we've tried to really get across what's happening rather than just having it be numbers in talking about both cyberpunk and witcher and, and how they're both you know life is a bit unfair and the odds are often stacked against you and, and what people have agency over is is themselves is that it does create this feeling of it's not it is cool to be a cyberpunk it is cool to be an edge runner but that coolness is born from a, a rejection and it, it, it is a choice to kind of uh flout this this kind of anti-corporation lifestyle as opposed to it actually being cool like it's not cool to be a witcher he's not the ubermensch yeah. he's a terrible like the most mistreated civil servant ever <laughs> Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. um, as, you know, as, as playing as a witcher, I'm like, man, this sucks. This sucks. <laughs> Everyone hates me. And, and, and no know. one wants to live here. But we yeah. <laughs> one of the reasons that Cody got the job was because by the time he got to Poland, he had come up with seven different classes and why you would want to play all of them. <laughs> Somebody from CDPR said, you know, we've never been able to do that. Everybody just wants to be witchers. It's the problem we'd always run across when we got into it originally was what, what, what we called the Jedi problem, which is weird because it, it, as you established, it is such a it is not the same thing. 
Yeah, we have people like why, you know, it, just like Star Wars, everybody wants to be a Jedi. Why wouldn't everybody want to be a Witcher? Yeah. And the important part is that Jedi and Witcher are not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While their powers are very similar, you know, even in even in the darkest times of being a Jedi, you are still reasonably respected by society. Mm. There is only one time when witches are respected by society, and that's because they're necessary, not really because people like them. Yeah, it's yeah. usually when the the gold is changing hand. <laughs> the, the closest witches have ever gotten to be being respected was like right after they were they were made, and that's still dubious. And it's it's kind of like interesting you point that out. I mean, for the for the three of us with the characters we played, we have we have a witcher, one who is feared and hated. We have a mage, one who is not trusted and is generally like kind of you know treated with like with a hand outstretched and you've got an elf who is con- oppressed, constantly yeah. Yeah, oppressed and discriminated. You were just a bunch of losers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but in the game. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it's interesting for myself personally as someone who basically I only started looking at The Witcher when we decided to play the game. Before that, I had never read a book. I'd never played any of the video games. I had not. I, I'd only then watch the TV series. Yeah. So I'm coming at this book completely fresh and it's being introduced to me. Like a lot of what I've learned about the world of The Witcher has come from this book. And and it just, the most wholly fascinating thing for me is that no one comes out clean. Like it's easy for me to look at Nilfgaard and say, oh yeah, these are the villains of the story. But then I also kind of look at the Northern Kingdoms and I go, oh, the way you treated the elder races is also pretty atrocious. Everyone's kind of shit. Mm. Um, And that seems to me to be part of the point. It's dark fantasy. Everyone's kind of a bit, their hands are a little bit dirty in one way or another. I have to admit that I am wearing my Nilfgaardian star. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Um, I am pro Guardian simply because I look at it as, do you want Radovic as your king? There are no yes. good kings in the north after <laughs> the king of Tamaria is killed. It is important because, yeah, uh, another aspect of that of that more sort of, you know, grounded dark fantasy aspect is that, yeah, everybody like there's upsides on both sides. Like, you know, if you are in Nilfgaard, you are in, you know, an authoritarian empire. You know, it, you can just be disappeared off the streets. Nilfgaard also generally treats the elder races better. They have a bit more of a, you know, if you can do the work, you will be respected for the work you can do, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, they do have, you know, fairly prevalent slavery, uh, you know, primarily of criminals and, and you know, uh, prisoners of war, but still, and, you know, they do have everything we've seen. They do have, you know, gladi- gladiator arenas and stuff like that. So, you know, there's that. But, you know, in the North, you might be freer to do what you want. But that freedom to do what you want means that, you know, you are liable to run across, you know, any number of groups of bandits or even just members of the aristocracy even who are just abusing peasantry because there isn't that very sort of authoritarian, you know, the empire will stop you from, you know, doing this thing if it harms the empire as a whole. And even, you know, Skellige, you are dealing in this absolute, you know, very much more sort of, you know, tightly knit clans who generally look out for each other and stuff like that. But you are in a society that for most of it is founded on raiding other people um, <laughs> and is in many cases an extremely brutal society if you not step out of line, but, you know, oath breakers and, and you know, kin slayers and stuff like that. So everybody has problems. It's like what I always like to say is that we have in 1272 this interesting situation, this outlook of, you know, the, the elves are massively persecuted in 1272 um, and for a lot of their time period. And, you know, humans are, are you know, nearly wiping them out. You know, in 1272, we, we often overlook the fact that most of the breeding age elves in yep. the North are gone. Mm. So functionally, the elven species is like a, effectively endangered. And it was actually really fascinating because I, I actually got to play with that one time with a, 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 a character who was an elf who came across this artifact that was this very powerful, you know, magically imbued artifact that instilled this desire to sort of like protect one's own. 
And I got to really play with the fact that, yeah, your species is, is like going extinct. Yeah. Like there's a good chance that in, you know, 70 years, there may not even really be elves in this area. But at the same time, it's important to remember that if you go deep lore on Witcher, the Enche, the elves that we know, are effectively the the less successful version of the NL, the, the elves of the wild hunt. And we know from the books and the interactions with the, the, the wild hunt that the Enche came to this world as a scouting party, and if things had gone their way, the rest of the elves would have shown up and probably wiped out all of the other species on the on the continent and taken over. The elves are down are down now, but if they had been chosen rather than than and the NL when the elves were escaping the white frost, you know, it would have been a wildly different story. So you know, everybody and you know the the elves themselves are responsible for almost wiping out the brand which they did not do because the Vran necessarily came after them. They largely, you know, attacked the Vran to get to, you know, their their riches and to take their cities in a lot of circumstances. So it's it's cycles in a lot of situations. Remember that Nilfgaard gave them Dole Sana back. <laughs> True, but I would I would argue that Nilfgaard gave them Dole Sana back because that inherently uh, destabilizes Edder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on. He doesn't do anything without a purpose. Yeah. Um, but we had we had an inherent problem with elves, which we have never actually addressed. Elves are essentially hunter-gatherers. They don't know anything about agriculture. In the short stories, they are, they are begging people to teach them how to raise crops in the mountains. Mm. Um, and yet they were able to build huge cities. Yeah, that is that is strange, isn't it? Because uh, magic. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, never mind. Sean just fixed it. Well, there are certain things like that. There are things that in adapting things, there are things where Sapkowski, because of his writing style, in writing the short stories, he would throw little things out, little tidbits that then would not always make a whole lot of sense in conjunction with everything else. So we'd have to find a way to like weave those tidbits into other things. But yeah, the I I had always figured. You know, the elves don't know a lot about agriculture because, like I said, they were a scouting party to see whether this was going to be a fine place to bring the rest of the elves. So they wouldn't have really had to know a lot about agriculture. And then I think probably I've always figured that it's that the dubiously, dubiously mysterious elven magic, because elves have a kind of different form of magic, must have done something to help them or were just leaning on the fact that the continent before humans showed up was massively wild. Maybe more plentiful. Yeah, huge forests and probably plentiful, you know, root vegetables and berries and, you know, little little rabbits and things like that. No, it's 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 interesting because every yeah, everybody has blood on their hands. It just kind of depends on where they got it and and when, as yeah. it were. Um, I suppose this might be my final question. Uh, so I kind of kind of want to make it more sentimental. I just want to know what the other brings to, I mean, especially because you it was just the two of you working for Witcher, but even in, in your other writings and creations and day-to-day managings, um, what are you most proud of the other for bringing to Artel Zorian? No. Oh, I just had to do it because we've never had a mother-son combo on this show. It's and so exciting. Never again. Oh. <laughs> uh, Cody is... A game designer, pure and simple. I'm so proud of him because he just went right into this head first. And he does a great job. I could never do what he does. As we've said, he picked up he picked his license up when he was 18, brought out a great game, brought out several great books after that. I don't usually say mom stuff, but <laughs> I'm really proud of him. That's so lovely to hear. Throughout the entire process, I've really appreciated that that Lisa has brought a certain amount of guidance to it. Um, you know, I was very young when I started this project. And even now, the the concept of sort of managing this, this you know, this aspect of the franchise is, is daunting. You know, there is so much to cover and so much to remember. And throughout the entire process, I was always absolutely speechless at how Lisa could just like, go through all of Sapkowski's novels and, and find 
every bit of information that would be even vaguely useful for the moment at what we're writing and just give me like I have a I have a, a multi-page list here of all of the notes that she, all of the notes she took when we were doing Tome of Chaos and that she could just distill all of this stuff down into this this very usable format and really help give me the guidance to kind of you know stay as close to to the sort of the heart of Witcher as we could and kind of make this massive task very much more manageable. I could not have done this project without without you, Lisa. Oh, thank you. It was a lot of fun. And kind of speaking of like the, the, this project that you're heading on with, with The Witcher, as we're kind of wrapping up towards the end of uh, this episode, this is kind of a, a point where we, we throw over if there's anything that you would like to promote or if there's anything that you either want or can talk about in terms of future projects. Obviously, uh, last year you, um, uh, well, recently rather, you brought out a book of tales, which was, a, if I remember right, a collection of six adventures in that you can play in The Witcher, which can either be standalones or played as part of a longer campaign. Are there are there things in the works in terms of The Witcher RPG that you are able to talk about and if not are there things that you would like to plug just in general castle uh, falkenstein when <laughs> can't say anything about that right now but um <laughs> oh. we are right at the tail end going into print on our next big witcher supplement uh, a tome of chaos yes uh which is our big magic supplement really excited for this one <laughs> to come out and for people to get to see it as we dive into <clears throat> Uh, most of the big subjects of magic, like um, you know, priestly magic, the different gods, mages, and how they're trained, druids, and what their circles are like, uh, dark magic, like summoning devils and uh, mutating people, necromancy, fun stuff like that. It is <laughs> a really dense book for anyone interested in magic in the world of The Witcher, with a lot of options for uh, for players and a lot of a lot of cool lore. We got to work with CDPR to write a lot of new lore um, based around magic in the setting, and uh, we got to we got to write a few deeper descriptions for some of the less lesser known gods, and write about how mages are trained in Nilfgaard, and you know write up a whole bunch of stuff about about Goetia and devil summoning and stuff like that. I mean, it's a mark of the success of the line that CDPR has said that what we do is canon. Hey, oh my there you go. <laughs> That's when I would just start adding really off the wall shit. <laughs> uh, the Geralt witch- is my boyfriend, Canon. <laughs> well, the, the Witcher School of Pondsmith. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, wait until the, until the April Fool's Day. Oh, <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> well, uh, before we before we say a proper goodbye to you, uh, we will just address the audience quickly because um, so for for all of you listening up, we have closed the door. On the Witcher, sorry, Artel Zorian. Um, but as we as we close one door, another one has to open. And so by now, uh, we have of course announced uh, what shall be the new season. But if those of you who have not been following us on social media or just didn't hear episodes where we've talked about it, the next game that we will be playing is actually Avatar Legends. Oh boy, the Avatar TTRPG. Yes. So from one franchise to another. Yes, hopefully drastically distinct in tone. Um, yes, <laughs> let's, uh, let's, <laughs> we, we, we're gonna we're gonna leave the the grim Witcher energy as beautiful as it has been, <laughs> and hopefully go into a child friendly <laughs> adventure. Which is really funny because uh, we have our old uh, how yieldy Chris who will be um, GMing for it. Chris who last GMed Vampire the Masquerade for us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll Known be- from such titles as World of Darkness. <laughs> Thank goodness those pe- that person has had a certain amount of time to sort of let the let the vampire stuff go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of wh- where we're heading into another franchise that I had no kind of insight. I'd never oh. watched the Avatar before we decided. Sure lives in a box, I think. <laughs> so much so that I called it the Avatar. So there you go. You really, you really yeah. should. I'm sure you can find all the episodes. It's really good. Oh, I, I have since. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be wild if you didn't do any oh, prep geez. before the podcast, Sean. <laughs> I watched the James Cameron film. 
I thought you were going to go with the M. Night Shyamalan one. Oh, that one and too. even then I was going to go, what? But yeah, so we'll be heading into Avatar uh, Legends as of, um, and with the, with the full book. Uh, as yes. Ellen is a, it was part of the Kickstarter. Yes, I am. And will continue to be, I guess, yes. <laughs> until it comes out for everyone. But um, yes. But yes, obviously, uh, thank you so much to both Cody and Lisa. Um, as always, it's a pleasure to do anything Artel Zorian related. We've had a chance to do it several times now, and it's always been a rollicking ride. Yeah, we've just we just love you guys, and and as well, your your company has supported us so much um, throughout our our podcast endeavors. And yeah, we'd just like to say a real, real wholehearted thank Absolutely. you. And thank you for thank you for playing our games. And it's it's kind of like yeah. very cool that we get to do this as, as our hustle. So <laughs> Also, I I think I'm correct on this. Congratulations, Lisa, on is it 40 years of marriage with you <gasps> and Mike now? Yes. Yay! Amazing. Congratulations. 40 years. Aww. We have been a couple for 44. Whoa! Amazing. Sorry, I'm just, I'm shook. Um, yeah. <laughs> me who's like, <laughs> knows someone for like 12 years and I'm like, mm, they might still hate me. Don't know. Um, Don't know. <laughs> you have ups and downs when you're married for 40, for 40 years. But overall, I think it's been great. Uh, when I got together with Michael, I was 21, I think it was. And um, I said, you know what? I don't know what this guy's going to do, but it's going to be interesting. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's going to be really interesting. Um, so I, I found that very attractive. Oh my God. I think that's the note we have to leave that's on. That's the funniest thing. Um, that's so wonderful. <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever heard. We don't know what you both are going to do, but for now, we will leave you, bid you adieu. And Cody and Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. You have been listening to The Blood Soaked Rose, which is a Roll to Cast production. The best way to find us is on Twitter, Discord, and our Patreon. All our podcasts are on Acast, Spotify, YouTube, and all good podcatchers. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Roll to Cast. The Witcher tabletop role-playing game is property of Artelsorian Games, used with permission. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.